Amen. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 21. Let's set the scene uh, for this beautiful passage. The days that we're living in are dark days in which things are out of joint. We can't get along with the environment in which we live, and so hundreds, if not thousands, of species go extinct every year. We cannot get along in our closest relationships. We cannot get along with those that are like us, nor can we get along with those who are more unlike us. Anybody looking in at the whole human race could be forgiven for thinking that there's something deeply wrong with the human race. The ways in which the world was pulled apart, rich and poor, in the 19th century by Karl Marx, is now being applied to all kinds of different ways. And the world in which we live, the societies and societies of the Western world, are tearing apart along every possible fault line. We see it being played out on the streets in France at the moment, on the news. We see it being played out in America, many other countries around the world. And yet amidst the chaos and the rubble, there's still an old dream that there might be an empire or a kingdom which is big enough to handle all the cultures, skin colors, and languages of the world without leveling them all down. That dream has never quite faded. John Lennon famously imagined it in 1971, a better world that we could make by ourselves, saying, I hope that someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. This brotherhood of man, imagine all the world sharing together. We see glimpses out of it every four years in the Olympics. My wife Della and I were in London in 2012, and it was amazing, the buzz and the atmosphere. But then after two weeks, it all fades, and everybody goes back to the old squabbles and wars and games that had been before. Huge amounts of time, money, and energy are poured into political, economic, military alliances, whether it's the United Nations, NATO, the European Union. Still that dream of everyone being together seems as far off as it has ever seemed. No amount of Olympic Games or military alliances or even legislation can change the human heart, touch where it needs to be touched more than anything else. And yet there is a part of the world right where Asia, Africa, and Europe meet. The very center of the nations is the way that Ezekiel the prophet described it. A place where traders of every skin color, language, culture, and nations converged called Galilee of the Gentiles. And it was there that just over 2,000 years ago, a man walked onto the stage of human history. We'll remember that great and wise philosophers from the East had come to bow before him at his birth. We'll remember that as a boy, he was taken uh, to Egypt as a refugee. Later, Egyptian church leaders said that even coming as a boy, that the idols of Egypt fell at his coming. And as he burst on a sunrise in a dark world, very quickly all different kinds of people from all over Galilee, the ten cities, Jerusalem, Judea, and all Syria 
began to bring to him those for whom life had gone badly, those that were ill, those that were suffering pain, those that were possessed by evil spirits, and he brought healing and life to all of them. And now in Matthew chapter 15, verse 21, we read that Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. It was about 70 miles northwest on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, a region with a long backstory in the Bible. Tyre and the prophets was all about worldly power, trade, resources. Sidon, on the other hand, was overshadowed by dark pagan religious practices as the old gods had been dug up and their worship had been restarted, the worship of Molech, that dark pagan god. Now, those gods weren't worshipped in the way that we're used to worshipping our god. They weren't worshipped in church or weren't worshipped by singing hymns of praise. They were worshipped by despicable sacrifices, even child sacrifices, we read in the book of Leviticus. And so it's not at all surprising that as we move to that region, that the first person who would come out of that place would be someone who was seeking help for a family member who was under the power of evil spirits. There are all kinds of forces in this world that won't allow themselves to be studied in a laboratory or under a microscope. I spoke to somebody just last week who was very concerned for her family encountering things that she didn't want to and not knowing how to respond. Of course, in the world of Tyre and Sidon, if somebody did fall under the control and power of these dark spiritual forces, there would be no help available for them from their gods. That god, Molech, would take from you but would never give. Imagine how you would have felt if someone that you loved, imagine that your child had come under the control of forces that you couldn't understand, you couldn't control, couldn't stop. Imagine how helpless and trapped you would feel, how despondent. Is there any help available in this world for the person who can't help themselves, who has nowhere left to turn? Well, isn't it beautiful to think that one day, whispers, rumors must have reached even that dark place, that there was someone somewhere out there who was moving around quietly at his great work in this dark world, a man who had already been able to make the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, one whom even the demons feared his name, more powerful than anything else, more powerful than everything else, able to tell the weather what to do, able to tell evil spirits where to go. This wasn't just another petty tribal god, but the god of all gods, the founder of the universe and the master of the galaxies, and he wasn't far away. He was somewhere near, helping, healing, bringing life and salvation. Imagine hearing those rumors and whispers. 
What would you have done? Well, if it was me, I would have made every effort to get to him. I would have put everything else that I was doing on hold. I'd have walked out of work and I would have gone straight to him. I would have crossed land and sea only to get near him. It's said, and we know in the 18th century in those great years of revival, that people would regularly walk 40 miles to meet with Jesus in the preaching of Daniel Rowland, Howell Harris, the Wesleys, and Whitfield. Imagine thinking that he wasn't far away. You would make every effort to get to where he was. And then the news that he had already drawn near. Isn't that beautiful? He come to that very place. He was already there. Come to this very town. And what did the lady do in Matthew 15, verse, 21, verse 22? This woman, a woman of Canaan, came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. She, as so many others would do and have done since, pushed through the crowds, would tear tiles off roofs, would cross seas and oceans to get close to him. She ran to him to ask him for help. She recognized at once who he was and confessed him as the Lord, great David's greater son, the heir of all the kings of Israel, whose kingdom would never end. She didn't come bringing any money to pay him off, but she came asking for mercy. Love that old story. You may have come across it where the king's daughter uh, was in the palace and one day, a, a lady went to the royal gardener to ask for grapes for her son from the royal gardens because her son was very, very ill. So she went to the royal gardener, and the royal gardener refused to sell her the grapes. And she came back the next day and said, I'll bring you more money. You know, would you sell me some grapes so I can bring to my poor son who's not well? The gardener again refused. She came back the next day. And as they were in this ongoing argument, the king's daughter overheard, came and said to them, well, you know, what's going on? Why is there this argument going on in this way? And the lady explained that her son was unwell and she was trying to buy the grapes from the royal gardener, to which the king's daughter replied, my father is not a merchant, but a king. It doesn't belong to him to sell, but to give. And at once I gave the grapes to the poor lady and to her son. In this same way, this lady doesn't come bringing anything in her hand. Nothing in return. Simply comes asking for mercy. For him to show her mercy. Now what happens next in verse 23? It's one of those most striking and fascinating verses isn't it? But he answered her not a word. He didn't say anything. Silence. What's going on? This has been so often misunderstood. I've actually heard it said, you know, people have said that 
he didn't like Canaanites, and that's why he didn't say anything to her at that point. It's a terrible thing for somebody to say. If you're going to, you know, defame somebody's character in that way, you better be sure of the facts before you do it. No, in this brief conversation and exchange, some of the greatest preachers in all the history of the church have seen some of the most wonderful and glorious realities about Jesus. Let's just set it up then. The disciples, whereas Jesus was silent in verse 23, the disciples, by way of contrast, had plenty to say. So they weren't struggling for words at all. His disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. Now, it seems that the disciples, as we go on, we'll just see that the disciples are closer around Jesus, perhaps in a little circle. The woman is a little bit further away at this point, perhaps outside that little circle around Jesus. And they say to him, send her away. They don't have any time for her. They don't like her. They're annoyed by what she's saying. And they think that she's badgering them and badgering him. And the only thing really to do is to send her away. Such a sadness, isn't it, when the disciples and when the church stands between Jesus and those who need him most. You think, no, the, the church could never do that. The disciples of Jesus, we stand between the world and Christ to, to bring the world to him to point to him and share his great salvation. And yet, if we're very honest, we'll know that there are ways in which we do stand between the world and Jesus in the wrong ways, obstructing those who most need to get to him. Lord, have mercy upon us when we do that and grant that we would never stand between and block the way to Jesus but would introduce the world to him. This woman didn't simply ask for help once and then give up and go away, but kept asking, kept banging at the door. Perhaps from a little bit further back, and Jesus doesn't initially speak to her, but speaks to the disciples in verse 24. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, what was he saying here? Somebody saying that as the prophets had said long before, that there was an order and a logic to what he was doing. He wasn't just wandering around aimlessly. No, he was at work in and around Jerusalem at the center of the nations bringing new life that would spread then from that place to all the corners of the earth. Now, it wouldn't be long, of course, before those disciples, having spent time with him, would go out from that very place to all the corners of the world. They would be changed and transformed by him. But the woman didn't remain standing at this distance where she was, but drew closer. And then in verse 25, fell down, and she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. 
Have you ever been in that place in life when you don't have time, you're not able to construct elaborate prayers, but you simply say, Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. That's all I can say. I need your help. That's what she does. All natural pride and inhibitions go, and she falls on her knees before him, asking for his help. Not a complicated or sophisticated prayer. Just, Lord, help me. And then Jesus speaks again in verse 26. But he answered and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. What is he saying? Now let's just think about it as a simple statement of fact. As a simple statement of fact, everyone would agree with that. I don't think there's anyone who would disagree. No one would say that you should feed your pets and not feed your children. I don't think anybody would seriously say that. No one would say that you should take the food away from your children, take it off the dinner table, and give it to your pets instead. No, social services would be very quickly in touch if you thought that was the right thing to do. So as a simple statement of fact, it's not right to take the children's food and give it to the little dogs. Everybody would agree with that statement. Everybody has to agree with that statement. But of course, there is also this subtle implication that the disciples would no doubt have picked up on. They would have seen themselves, perhaps, as children of the living God, that this woman was an outsider, a Gentile, like the dogs. And they may have heard him as saying, we're the children, she's like a dog. It wouldn't be right to take away from us and to give it to her. Anything which was given to her would be mean that we would lose that thing, and that wouldn't be right. So do you see what it is? There's a statement of fact that everyone would agree with, and then there's this subtle implication we might say as well. What happens next is so wonderful. The lady doesn't say, how dare you say that I'm a dog? I understand what you're hinting at. I know what you're trying to say. It wasn't just for the disciples. You were saying it to me as well. And so now I'm going to go. I'll go somewhere else. I don't like being called a dog. No, what does she do? She doesn't do that. In verse 27, this most amazing response, quick as a flash, she said, True Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. This is an incredible thing to say, as quick as a flash. Let's just unpack it. What is she saying? I agree. It wouldn't be right to take away the children's food and give it to their dogs, their pets, so that the, the children would go hungry and the dogs would be fed. But at this table, at your table, there is so much food that it doesn't have to be an either-or in that way. It doesn't have to be either the children are fed or the dogs are fed. No, at this table, the table that we're both speaking about, thinking about, your table, 
There is enough for the children and the dogs as well. This table, in other words, is not just very small, happy meal from McDonald's. No, it's not that. It's a huge banquet in which there's enough for everyone. Can you see what she's saying, what she sees and recognizes? She's saying, I know who you are. I know that you are a rich man, the richest of all men, that everything belongs to you. You have a banquet in which there's enough for everyone. You have enough to go around us all. It doesn't have to be giving to one person and then somebody else losing out. You have more than enough to give to me and to them as well. That's a deep point, isn't it? And she sees that straight away in a flash. But the second point that she sees just as quickly is almost even more beautiful. Think about it. What she wants is that her daughter is brought back to life again, set free from the power of these despicable evil spirits. No one else can do that for her. Her own God is no help at all. It's an impossible thing. And yet she knows that that thing which is impossible for anyone else is only a very small thing for this person. It's only a little tiny crumb from under his table. Even the leftovers are enough for her to change her daughter's life forever. The healing of her daughter and setting her free from the possession of demons, all she wants in life is not even the main course on the table. It's only a little tiny crumb, nothing at all. What seems so difficult to us, impossible to us, is easy for him, is nothing for him at all. Can we see what this lady is saying and confessing? If we're going to be talking about children and dogs, and that's the subtle implication of these things, I'm actually happy to be a dog. Very, very happy. I'll be a dog because I'll still get enough. In fact, I'd rather be your pet dog than be a princess to anybody else. Rather be the smallest and the lowest in your kingdom. That would be enough for me. Martin Luther saw this as one of the greatest stories in all the Bible. He said this woman was one of the greatest Christians of all time. This amazing way in which she catches Jesus, that was Luther's phrase, she catches him in his words. But of course he wants to be caught and he's playing along because he really wants to help her. And so in verse 28, Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. The great physician now is near the sympathizing Jesus. He speaks with overflowing love and kindness. And in a moment, the girl is set free, brought back to life again. The power of those evil spirits is broken forever. 
Jesus moves on, as we draw to a close, Jesus moves on from that place. In verse 29, he departed from there, leaving this trail and wake of life and salvation. As time passed, we know what happened to him. He was rejected by his own people, and he was handed over to Pilate and to the Romans so that everyone, Jew and Gentile, had a hand in his death. And yet on the cross of Calvary, as his precious blood was shed, his arms were stretched wide to the east and the west to bring all the world together in himself and to make them one. On the third day, just as he promised, he walked out of his grave, alive forever and ever, a new kind of human life in which those old divisions and enmities are gone. He sent out his friends from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth to invite people of every skin, color, language, nation, and culture into his kingdom that spans the globe and all of history. And they all went out and they all died to share that glorious gospel with the nations of the world. And nations that had long lain in darkness came alive as the gospel of Jesus Christ reached them. His gospel is for everyone. He belongs to the whole world. John Lennon couldn't even imagine what Jesus Christ has already done and is doing. The Olympics... The World Cup, the UN, the EU, NATO cannot bring all the nations of the world together in love and unity, but Jesus Christ is and can and will. Crown him the Lord of peace, whose power a scepter sways from pole to pole that wars may cease and all be prayer and praise on the border between the countries of Argentina and Chile, set up in 1904 is a beautiful statue called Christ of the Andes, set up at a time in which those two peoples were going to engage in a great war, and instead there was peace. On the base of that statue are written these words, Sooner shall these mountains crumble to dust Then shall the Argentines and Chileans break the peace which they have pledged at the feet of Christ the Redeemer. That is what Jesus Christ is doing right across the world. This same Lord Jesus Christ, who helped the Canaanite woman so long ago, is alive today. The same yesterday, today, and forever, drawing each one of us to himself from the outside, on our knees before him. In love and devotion, as he forgives all our sins and grants us his full pardon and free salvation, his table is always full. There's enough for all of us, for all the world. Even the impossible is possible to him. He is building his kingdom and church across the world, oh, that in the midst of these days, in which there's so much turmoil and upheaval, 
that he would come in power once again. And all these old enmities and divisions would in a moment be burned up by his great power, his fire and his life, and new life would come again. Let's pray and I'll lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the glorious kingdom of this, your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray that his kingdom would advance this week in our lives. We pray that his great salvation would continue to shine from this place, that all the nations would be reconciled and bow at the foot of the cross where the ground is level. We thank and praise you and pray that in our days, in this land, the banner of Jesus Christ would fly higher and higher. And we ask it all in his wonderful name. Amen. Well, let's stand and sing by way of response. It's number 548, I Cannot Tell.
And so we pray now that your blessing, the blessing of you, the one true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would be with each one of us both this day and always until we see you face to face. Amen.